This episode of Beer and Bullshit is brought to you by Woodhouse Brewing Company in Toronto. Woodhouse brews the refreshing beers using only choice ingredients and no preservatives. Check out their brew pub in Toronto today and enjoy their newly opened patio. Welcome to a late episode of Beer and Bullshit. I'm late. I know. I usually try to get these things out so they're live by 12.01 a.m. So you've got all day Wednesday to enjoy them. I'm late. It's 8 p.m. when I'm recording this on Wednesday. So it's going to be down to the wire. This may be a quick edit. We'll see. I'm sorry. Okay? If you were counting on a nice Beer and Bullshit podcast in your feed this morning, I apologize. Nathan Berkeley, I apologize for ruining your lunch hour. You were waiting for it. But I'm bringing the goods, okay? I got a good one today. I got Steve Beauchene from Bose. Uh, we talk about a lot of stuff. He's been in the game a long time. And Bose has uh, been through a lot. So we have a good chat. So hopefully I made it up to you. Nathan and everyone else, please forgive me. I'll never be late again, maybe. But before we get to that, I wanted to take a minute to talk about beer awards for a second. The Canadian Brewing Awards just happened, so there was the usual amount of buzz on Twitter. Also, the World Beer Awards just happened. Presumably selects the best beer in the whole world. The best in the world. Uh, I got a bit of a problem with awards, so... I will preface this by saying awards are kind of stupid, but I get it. Okay? Remember the but I get it part if you get annoyed at the awards are stupid part. Okay. So I think beer awards are inherently stupid because obviously they're only handed out to people who have the time and resources to submit. They have to pay for this right too. So they're inherently flawed before they even begin. Okay? It's not the best IPA in the world, the best IPA in Canada, the best IPA in Ontario. It's the best IPA from a brewer that took the time to submit his or her beer and paid 75 bucks or whatever it is to get that beer into the competition. And then it was the favorite of a handful of judges, typically qualified judges, home brewers, beer critics, and maybe sometimes less than qualified judges. I'm not saying any awards are more or less, you know, discerning than others when they choose judges or that pandemics may have affected people's ability to find judges or may have made the conditions under which beer was tested harder than in previous years. I'm just saying, this is why I generally have a problem with an awards process that then labels best on something best is a definitive thing and again this is the taste of beer so who's to say what's best right so the best beer is actually a handful of judges of varying skill sets and backgrounds choice of what beer best fit the description of that style on the day they tasted it from brewers that paid to be there now that does not look good on a can, so we don't say that. We say best. And so that's why I think award shows are bullshit. Uh, but that's not an original argument. The same argument is made for every award for art. People say the same thing about the Oscars. People say the same thing about the Emmys. When people used to watch the Tonys, that's probably something people used to say about the Tonys, too. So that's the awards are stupid part. Here's the but I get it part. Submitting a beer for an award can be a calculated marketing expense. I know this is a very cynical way to look at things, but if you think I'm going to submit X amount of beers at $75 a pop, I'm probably going to win something because I know my beers are good. If you don't think they're good, why would you enter them in an award? But when you win something, you can then say you have a gold medal winning beer. And that actually does sell product. Now, someone on Twitter said, they haven't actually seen an uptick since their beer won an award. But generally speaking, I think when you can say we were the best brewery, we have the best beer, we have a gold medal beer, on the side of a can, 
in a market that is increasingly saturated, look at the LCBO with rows and rows of tall boys. If one of them says award-winning, Joe Schmo is probably more likely to pick it up. You're going to sell more beer. So, entering a bunch of beer into an award, sure, worth it. You're going to move more product. Similarly, if you're a beer rep and you're walking into a, a licensee or an account and you want to sell your IPA and there's 15 other dickheads with an IPA waiting to come in and talk to the same bar manager, if you can say, this IPA won gold at the blah blah blahs last night, you're probably more likely to get your beer on tap there or, you know, you're going to have to give them less table talkers or chalkboards or patio umbrellas to get your beer on tap there. So in the end, it's a calculated marketing expense. The less cynical version is, awards are nice. Brewers work hard. Uh, they toil all day making beer uh, and cleaning. And so when you have an opportunity to showcase your brewing staff's work and you have a truly excellent beer you believe in, it's nice for them to say, I brewed a beer that won an award. And pre-COVID times, it's nice to go out to a thing full of other brewers and get your work recognized and get drunk. I mean, that's great. You get to see Cass Enright in a suit. That's amazing. Who doesn't want to see that? Anyway, that's the end of that rant. Uh, awards are stupid, but I get it. Um, I hope you're all enjoying a beverage. Or not if you're on your lunch hour. Probably shouldn't enjoy an alcoholic beverage on your lunch hour. Although you're probably working from home. Do whatever you want. You have a smoke going. You know what? Who cares? Uh, I myself am enjoying a Voodoo Ranger. For those who don't know, Voodoo Ranger is a beer made by New Belgium Brewing and is now being made and distributed in Canada by Steam Whistle. Uh, and it's a delightful beer, and now that you can have it fresh in Canada, it's even better. I uh, The folks at Steam Whistle actually sent me this, and then my local rep brought me some too. I'm double dipping in freebies, so shout out to Doug. Thanks. If you're listening to this and you're my neighbor or you live nearby and you need a Voodoo Ranger, I've got like nine of them, so come on by. Um, but they're great. The uh, kind of a throwback for me because this reminds me of a time in 2011 and 2012 when Ontario was flush with IPAs, but we were still kind of still kind of in our infancy in terms of the craft beer scene, and I think uh, borrowing a lot with our IPAs from um, classic, typical U.S. versions of the style, of which Voodoo Ranger certainly is. It's a time when every IPA you definitely had to describe as having a malt backbone. I got so sick of writing malt backbone for blog TO because, man, every fucking IPA was the maltiest, backboniest backbones. Anyway, this one's good. I mean, this is definitely a throwback, but uh, at a time when IPAs are all haze and juice in your face, this is uh, an interesting balance where you can still taste the booze and still taste the malt. That was unsolicited. I'm literally just drinking a beer and enjoying it. Anyway... Um, let's get on with this fucking thing, right? Um, I, I talked to Steve from Bose, and, uh, fuck, here it is. Steve from Bose. Enjoy. I'll, I will say, this is the first time I had to go through an executive assistant to get someone to, to be on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you guys at Bose don't mess around. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, something I took from my, uh, my, my government days, um, we we always had to go through an executive assistant for uh for kind of briefings with the deputy minister and um just seeing uh i I got to know some of the executive assistants and seeing how much they freed up that person's time to do work instead of doing kind of the administrative tasks and sort of getting people to be more prepared for meetings and things like that um i i really I, i i took that to heart okay there you go. And that's that was the gig right before beer, right? That's right. Yeah. Uh, I actually, uh, it was my second daughter's uh, paternity leave that allowed me to kind of uh, focus on, on opening the brewery full time. So it was, it was super helpful to, to kind of have that, uh, that uh, great benefit plan there. Yeah, that's tough to beat. That's why it's hard to walk away from the Ontario Public yeah. Service. So that was what, 2006 you guys launched, right? That's right, yeah. And your dad was uh, in textiles. I'm trying to remember. You can stop me where I get it wrong. <laughs> yeah, dad no, was get... in... So far, so good? <laughs> yeah. So your dad was in textiles. You worked for the government, and you guys opened in 2006. 
that's really all I have for your history. I mean, there's a lot since I, I was actually thinking <laughs> after about after that. All, it's all a blur. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I was thinking you guys have done so much. Like, there's so many like. Oh, geez, that was loud. Sorry about that. But there's so many yeah, like no times you've popped up in the news. I was like, I don't know where to start with this guy. So <laughs> I guess I'll start <laughs> from the beginning. I mean, I, I feel like it's tough to think about Bose as like a scrappy upstart now because you're kind of an institution in Ontario at this point. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, I, I, I still, I think, think of myself more as the, as the scrappy upstart. And I, I, I sometimes have to remind myself that uh you know it, it, it's not quite the you know the the five of us uh trying to take on the world anymore it's uh it i i'm still so used to kind of walking in with a great idea or a not so great idea yeah. and just being like okay we're changing everything today and let's do this um and 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 I, i've kind of had to learn over the years that uh you know w- when you've got you know a bigger team uh, you can't just kind of walk in <laughs> in the morning and say, I had an epiphany last night. Let's do this thing. I feel like, I feel like you found that balance though. Cause I, like I said, like Bose still does a lot of stuff. Maybe you've slowed down in recent years, but I mean, you guys put out so many beers. Like I was, I was actually curious <laughs> if you keep a tally. Cause I remember, well, I mean, it seemed like there was a new Bose beer every week. Maybe there still yeah. is. <laughs> Yeah, we, um, we, we kind of grew into that, uh, I, I would say, naturally. Um, when, when we first opened up, we, the actual plan was to have four full-time brands. And the only reason that we started with, with what became Lug Tread was because out of the four beers that we'd chosen, it was kind of the most suited to, to summer, and we were launching July 1st. But the original plan was, you know, come fall, we were going to put out the beer that we now call uh, Nightmares in. in spring. We were going to put out um, uh, what what we called Festive Ale. And, uh, you know, the, the last beer at the time was was still kind of conceptual, but it's what ended up becoming bog, uh, bog water. And uh, the plan was that those would all be full time. But uh, after the first batch of lug tread, we just basically for the next, I'd say five years, we're just chasing the, the success of that beer. And what would happen would be, you know, come January or, or, you know, a slow time of the year, there'd be like this magical moment where there was an open fermenter <laughs> and you'd be like, Oh shit, let's get a beer in there quick. Uh, so that we can, we can put something else out before we have to brew more lug tread again. And, um, and so we ended up just kind of naturally coming up with more and more seasonals because we, we could never count on having enough fermenter space uh, for lug tread uh, throughout the year. So it was always kind of something we do in, uh, in slow seasons. But over time, uh, you know, it was, we built more and more capacity and it, it, it ended up becoming like we were building capacity now for all these seasonals, uh, not just for lug tread. And you're right. So we had um, we had our Gruet series where we were putting out four Gruet beers a year. We had because our, who does that? Uh, who does that? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, we we had our Wild Oats series, which was six a year. Yeah. Uh, so every few months we put out a, an experimental beer. We had our Farm Table series, which was you know uh, traditional beers brewed to style. Uh, that was four a year. And then we, you know, always end up doing a few collabs and, uh, and, and kind of one-off brands. And, and we started looking at it. it was, you know, typical for us to put out between 35 and 50 beers a year. So when you said one a week, Pretty you're close. not too far off. Yeah. Um, and this last year, last year has been a weird one, I think, for our fans. Uh, from our end, it's been just as much development. But what we've been trying to do this this last year was was build a, a core lineup so that not everything is always rotating all the time. Uh, and the reason the reason we ended up doing that was um, you know we'd put out a we'd put out an IPA and then three weeks later it'd be gone and we'd get more complaints than we got compliments for having an IPA because people would be complaining that we took it away. Right. 
Um, and at the same time, um, uh, when you're putting out 50 beers a year, some hit the mark, some miss the mark. And, and when you're putting that many out, you don't have necessarily as much time to, to kind of make sure everything hits the bullseye perfectly. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I think sort of, um, you know, while we always tried our best, there, there were, you know, brands that we put out that, that really didn't, didn't achieve what we, we hoped they would. So over the last year, we've gone from, you know, this, this massive seasonals to, you know, we, we launched, I think it was a total of six core brands all in the same year, uh, which in itself is a, a massive, massive investment of time and effort. Um, but it meant that we had to kind of put a lot of the other stuff on hold. And I'm, you know, super excited now that we've kind of, we've stabilized the core lineup and now we're getting back into kind of what, what would be kind of more of a normal quote unquote normal bows. So was that like, was that a business decision or was that like all things a result of COVID? I feel like the show ends up being about COVID every freaking time because <laughs> what else can you talk about? But I mean, so no, I mean scaling it's actually... Back to- well, the timing this is was the good only then. thing. <laughs> yeah, this is the only thing that wasn't COVID related. <laughs> the last, uh, the last brand of our core lineup we released, I think, in February, so just before COVID hit. I've noticed um, it's more just Bose Brewery, whereas before it was always Bose All Natural. Mm-hmm. Is that because you've started using unnatural? Like, is it Bose Unnatural now? Like, or was there a conscious... Bose Artificial Brewing yeah, yeah. Company. All fake. <laughs> uh, no, it's... Uh, c'est parce que nous vendons Quebec uh, maintenant. Okay. Um, a little too long for the label? All, translating All Natural Brewing Company into Brasserie Bose Tout Natural and putting that all on the same label. Was just, <laughs> right. Uh, it was just a mess and... And our, our design team was like, please, please, can we just go with Bose? It works yeah. in both languages. French translation always ends up being twice as long, too, so that <laughs> makes sense. But was it always a decision to, like, I, I wasn't even drinking decent beer in 2006, so I don't remember. Was it always all natural, and was that the business plan from the get-go? Uh, yeah, so we started off using organic malts, um, and... the world in 2006 was a very different world from sort of the brewing perspective. Um, If you go back to that point in time, all natural quite often meant you weren't using corn syrup. So Mm -hmm. all malt was considered all natural at the time. So we, we, we kind of never made it, made a a big deal of, of, uh, of sort of the, the fact that the ingredients were organic. It was, it was more a matter of, uh, you know, we're not putting in, uh, you know, crazy. Yeah. We're not, we're not putting in corn syrup basically. Yeah. So is everything you do organic? Because yeah, I mean, that seems like such a pain in the ass. Like I've, I've I've spoken, like even just like buying, trying to buy organic groceries it's like the pricing they're trying to find the grocery like and i remember when um i don't know if you remember the toronto distillery company they opened up in the space uh next to what is now um people's pint but they wanted to do all natural distilling and the process for finding ingredients that they could get certified organic they said was like they were they were a little bit wacky they did an all beet spirit and they're like to find organic beets that were certified organic and be able yeah. to use them. Like how much more of a hassle is it to make everything organic for you? Um, it's become more and more of a hassle uh, over the last few years. And um, you know, it's, it's, it's something that we've, you know, kind of revisited several times. Like, does this, does this really make sense for us to, to continue with? Yeah. Um, especially we, we, uh, we did some research uh, recently and we found out that uh, 73% of the, our consumers who buy our beer don't even know that our beer is organic. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> um, and then we did some more digging and, and of the 70 of the 26 or 27% of people who do know uh, only 20% of them even care. Right. <laughs> Um, so we, we, we have been doing a lot of soul searching, um, over the last little while. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we, we've kind of, 
we, we've basically said, you know, organic is important to us and uh, we want to make sure that we, uh, we continue with, with it because it, it is important to us. But we've also kind of recognized it's maybe not as important to all of our fans. So we're trying to find a way to kind of balance the, that reality out. And mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know. Um, uh, I don't think we've got our, our solution kind of 100% uh, figured out at this point. But we are, we are trying to find, find, uh, find out at this point if there's, um, I would say, a, a better use of, of, of our kind of make the world a better place dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting because I've seen big guys going the other way. Like there's Coors Organic now, which is like mm. almost double the price point. I, I, I'm just like, who is the market for this? Like, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a surprising one. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, we've, we've been doing it so long and, uh, I guess, you know, it, it's one of those interesting things where, you know, you, you can, uh, you can speculate all you want, but at, at, at a certain point, you kind of, you, you make your decisions on what you think is the, the best thing you can do uh, mm-hmm. for your, for your fans and for your business. And then you just, uh, you know, uh, your fans will tell you if you got it right or you didn't. <laughs> or if they didn't even notice or they don't care. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You were talking about um, you're doing the right thing dollars. Cause you do, there's a lot of uh, news that comes out of Bose. Cause you guys obviously have a, a socially conscious bent. I was actually looking at the um, female-owned brewery you helped support in Rwanda, yeah. and uh, that was like four years ago when that was making headlines. And it looks like they just kegged and tapped their first beer five days ago. Yeah. So this has been uh, at least once a week, getting up at four in the morning for the last four to five years because of the time zone change, mm-hmm. uh, helping, helping to get this brewery off the ground. And uh, the, the beer that they kegged is still developmental. It's the first out of their, uh, their new pilot batch. But, uh, but we've now got uh, commercial equipment that's uh, the down payments in there and, and it, it should be shipping uh, in the next couple months. And then sort of the grand opening uh, for reels is, is going to be probably, uh, sometime in 2021. Okay. And it's, it's wild. Cause when, uh, when we made the announcement that we were going to do this, we kind of said, we expect this to be a, a five-year project. And it, it turns out that that's, you know, pretty, pretty much exactly how long yeah. it's, it's, it's taken, but, uh, we did not, and, and we knew there'd be, you know, kind of, curves in the road and then bumps and things like that but we did not expect it would take <laughs> the path it has taken and it's uh there's been a few points in in that journey where you know uh, i was getting you know calls from 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 our own team like our our, our, our bose employees going when are you going to announce that this is officially dead <laughs> i was like we're not gonna we're not gonna admit the feet on this <laughs> so what was like what was your relate what was the Bose relationship with that project? Were you guys consultants? Was there a financial stake? So um we we took the project on uh as part of our, our 10 year anniversary and it was uh we took it on as a legacy project. Uh we basically uh we we'd had such support from our fans and, and had such a you know kind of fairy tale existence for our first 10 years that we said it, you know, we want to do something to to stretch ourselves, uh, to give back to the community, um, and and we really wanted to to think bigger than just the local community. We wanted to think about our, our global community, and uh, we came across uh, this entrepreneur in in Rwanda who was hoping to to start the first first uh, craft brewery in in the country, uh, and and you know, a big part of her mission was to make it, you know, a, a socially impactful business. Um, and, and we kind of fell in love with the idea. So on our end, we uh, undertook kind of creating a Kickstarter campaign. Uh, we raised a little over $100,000 through that, through that campaign as, as seed funding for the brewery. 
And then we committed on our end uh, to provide guidance, mentorship, um, whatever kind of support we could to, to kind of get the thing off the ground. And so that's where, you know, um, help with, uh, with business planning, with, with kind of brewery technical in, information, uh, sourcing equipment, ingredients, um, HR issues, kind of everything that's required to get a brewery off the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, there's been a lot of learning for, for us as well. And that's kind of one of the, you know, if you ask what we're getting out of it, um, you know, we haven't asked for any equity or we're not taking any, anything from the, the company. So there's no financial reward for us, but, uh, but there's been an awful lot that, that we've benefited from in terms of learning. I don't know how to pronounce it. Quasa. Is that the name of the crowd? Quasa. Brewery? Yeah. Quasa. Okay. Yeah. Which and they'll be really cool contractually that... obligated to distribute lug tread in Rwanda. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, the word Quasa, it's, uh, it's Kinyarwandan. And it's, uh, it's a word that's got kind of two meanings. It's, it's literal meaning. I don't know if you can see that cat that's just hopped up on my lap. No, nope. you're good. Um, I thought you were just touching yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm doing that too. But <laughs> that's good. This guy loves talking about beer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, so the word quasar, the literal meaning is um, uh, it's, it's when fruit ripens. Uh, so it's that, that act of ripening. Uh, but it's also used as a uh, an adjective to describe uh, building up someone's self-esteem or someone's confidence uh, with with positive uh, reinforcement. Cool. Uh, so it, it's kind of it's got that that great kind of double entendre where it's you know uh, it's it's you know the the ripening of the of the the fruit and and also sort of building up which is kind of the social impact side of the brewery so and you're like i just went with part of my name for this company (laughs) you had a second chance to have some input so like you know what (laughs) yeah i didn't come up with quasar no no (laughs) that's cool what are you drinking let me guess no actually i heard a can open so i don't know if i can guess oh always lug tread uh, not always lug tread, but uh, but yes, this time lug tread. Nice, very nice. Yeah. I wasn't I wasn't sure what I was going to crack. I also have a full time here. I really enjoy that IPA. It's very nice. I I've been loving it so much. We we changed the recipe a little bit. Um, what? I'd say about <laughs> I'd say about eight eight or nine months ago. Uh, we were finding it was it was originally six point seven percent alcohol. And it, it kind of, um, we haven't really messed around with the aroma hops, but the bittering hops were initially a lot more like sort of an old school IPA, kind of really over the top bitter. Uh, I like so that. We, we, <laughs> I really I, like, I, I think that's probably when I had it. I mean, when I first had <laughs> it, I was like, I think this is one of the best beers Bose has ever made. So I was like, this is a great addition to your core lineup for sure. Yeah. But yeah, yeah you're right. Bitter is out of style. Try it again. Yeah, um, bitter is out of style for sure. Yeah, it's and and the the beer still has like that that you know bitter backbone to it, but we we scaled it back a little bit. Uh, what I was finding was it kind of it, it crossed that line from pleasantly bitter into kind of kind of acrid or um, over the top. Yeah, not every batch, but sometimes so. We scaled it back just slightly, and now it kind of it hits the mark for me every nice. time. And uh, and and since doing that, we've 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 seen the sales go up. But more importantly, I, I think um, I've I've found myself instead of having you know one every couple months, I'm having you know one every couple weeks kind of thing. Nice. Is, and the, the next batch will be hazy, obviously, right? <laughs> everything has if to we be. get it wrong yeah, yeah <laughs> just just call it a, an um an, an EIPA. yeah nipa nipa can we say nipa i think it's it's okay to say nipa um uh, is there a controversy around that no i don't know it's just so weird i don't want to call a beer a nipa it's like saying an ipa like i don't, I don't know <laughs> Um, oh, I was going to ask my friends at gigantic are all about that. Oh, let's have an IPA. Really? <laughs> yeah. 
I love when people pronounce uh, acronyms that aren't acronyms or vice versa. <laughs> yeah. Like um, uh, the UP Express in Toronto. Uh, there's someone I know is always like, yeah, take the up, just take the up. I'm like, no one calls it the up. Stop calling it the up. <laughs> Folks, are you like me? Do you like supporting independent breweries? Yeah, you do. What better independent brewery to support right now than the Indie Alehouse? Indie is right in the name, so you know they're independent. They're located in Toronto. Uh, their brew pub is in the junction, and they have a brewery in Italy in the Manulife Center as well. Of course, these are weird times for going out. Maybe you're not ready. Maybe you don't even live in Toronto. That's okay. You can still try the delicious beers that they're making at the Indie Alehouse because they made it easy. Beer to your door, ordered from the comfort and safety of your own home that's my favorite way to order things you got free delivery anywhere in toronto if you order 12 beers or more and a flat rate anywhere else in ontario why not order a stay home pale ale one dollar from every can of stay home purchased will be donated to the fund that supports their employees that have been temporarily laid off due to covid19 check them out at indialehouse.com um speaking of changing recipes i was going to ask you um, has lug tread changed much over the years or is it still pretty much that same 2006 recipe? Um, it, we've, we've made tweaks to it over, over the years, but it, in essence, it's not really changed. Um, again, uh, one of the, one of the biggest challenges with being organic is, is sourcing, uh, sourcing the raw materials. And uh, the original hops that uh, that were in the recipe for bitterness were, were Perla. And we've just had a hell of a time uh, getting a consistent source of, of Perla hops. So uh, quite often we're, we're, we're using, you know, different hops for, for the bitterness. Mm. Um, and, you know, we, we try to always make it Herzbrucker for aroma. But um, in reality, there's times where we, you know, literally can't get our hands on on Herzbrucker that are organic and 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 it, it forces us to kind of use a similar german hop to to kind of try to uh, get as close as we can and um uh when we changed from our 15 barrel brew house to our 60 barrel brew house um you know the way that we were measuring out before was was in uh 25 kilo bags so kind of you're around a little bit differently when you're when we move to kind of bulk malt out of a silo so it's kind of like little tweaks like that um we uh for a while we're trying using uh some acidulated malts in the recipe to uh to kind of improve the uh the head retention but you know after after doing some trials we we didn't we didn't believe it was was really kind of doing the what it was supposed to so we kind of uh, moved back to the original recipe um and uh um other than that it's uh it's pretty much stayed uh exact well you say exactly the same it's one of the things i find funny when they say like oh, have you ever changed the recipe well you kind of have to change the recipe every time you get a new lot of grain in because right extract yield yeah. and you know and anyone that says that they've never changed the recipe is is either doing a really bad job of maintaining consistency yeah, different beer or, or they're lying <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's fair um <laughs> it's it's kind of weird to think of you guys like you've been around one of like the pioneering craft breweries in Ontario. And I, I don't mean to like offend you, but I feel like you don't get mentioned in the same sort of, I don't know, like regard as the Toronto breweries. I, I don't know if it's a, a factor of like, you guys are out in Van Cleek Hill. Do you feel that? I always felt like Bose is like this other thing, like not that it was lesser than, but like things outside of Toronto don't really get, ton of attention and you guys have been around since 2006 like i mean do you feel that or is that just a consumer well my perception i guess yeah i've, I've kind of got I, I guess so, some fairly complex thoughts on that uh one is i've always felt like we're treated more like a montreal brewery than we are a toronto brewery so we're, we're, we're maybe given more pioneer status in quebec than we are in in ontario 
and uh and that's probably you know just just a simple matter of geography mm -hmm. you know like for us for us like to get in the car and get to montreal is you know it's it's a 45 minute drive uh to get to toronto is a six hour drive right and obviously we've got like a, a local team that's in toronto we've got local reps everywhere but um but i think sort of in those early days uh in particular like I think for the first three, four years, we, we refused to actually sell beer to Toronto. So you could be in Toronto in 2007, 2008, and you just couldn't get our beer. Mm -hmm. uh, so but that, you know, I, I think that kind of lends itself to kind of, you know, us, us maybe missing out on some of that pioneer status. The other side to it, you know, from my perspective, when you compare us to like uh, the granite or you know, Great Lakes, you know, the, the guys that have been around 30 years uh, are 14 years really to me doesn't, doesn't feel like we deserve to be in the same group. And if, if you kind of, you know, if, if you look at it, we're like the very last of the group that can, that can legitimately claim pioneer status. <laughs> uh, and I say, I say that because, you know, if you look at sort of the charts of, of new breweries, um 2006 when we opened uh there was like there'd been i think 34 breweries for for like the last five six years someone must have closed when we opened because the number didn't go up at all in 2006 and then 2007 you just start seeing that number jump and jump and jump and jump mm -hmm. and uh so so the the breweries that kind of came a year or two after us don't ever get that pioneer status. And, yeah. and yet, uh, and yet we, we sometimes, you know, I, I think are fortunate to get, uh, to get kind of lumped in with, uh, with, you know, the guys like, uh, like Ron Keefe, who is, you know, an absolute true pioneer. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I'm quite humbled uh, to kind of be, we, to be put into that, you know, the same group as like Charles McLean and, and Ron Keefe and, you know, the guys that, that have legit been doing it for yeah. you know, 30, 30 some odd years. <laughs> well, I mean, and I think it's a factor of geography and maybe it's just a beer nerd thing because Toronto gets so much play and has so much social media presence or something. But I mean, increasingly, I think, especially now that there's so many breweries, like you can keep it within your geography and you don't need to explore too much and and frankly why would you because it's fresher and better the closer you get right i actually remember i think i don't know what year it was but it was one of the um it was an ocb conference and you were talking about i think it was maybe lcbo i was sitting in on a session and you talked about your conscious strategy not to expand too quickly and i think that's like i don't think people listen to that anymore like you're like, we're not going to go to, we don't, we're not going to be in Toronto just because like there's hype in Toronto. We're not going to expand into like a hundred LCBOs just because we can, we're going to start slow and move out. But now you see like, maybe it's a contract brewing thing, but like some people it's like their business model is like get in a lot of LCBOs first, which is so strange to me. And for some of them it works. Like I lost craft. They've learned example. I think that they're rocking the LCBO model, but you were like, why be in the LCBO before you can? Why distribute further than you need to right away? And I think it's still pretty good advice, but I, I don't know if people, maybe people weren't listening. <laughs> but it definitely seems, they weren't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's an interesting kind of, you know, uh, Ontario is a truly unique market for that fact. Um, and, it, you know, the LCBO... Uh, obviously has a lot of critics, uh, but they they give listings to breweries that you know in no in no kind of free market jurisdiction would they ever qualify for the for, for those kind of listings that that some of the breweries get, and yeah. and you know where we kind of miss out in 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 you know having that one specialty store that has you know seven thousand beers you can go to like Sault Ste. Marie and the LCBO there has got beer from, you know, right across the province from teeny tiny breweries that would normally never, ever get the chance to be on, on, on a shelf of a beer store. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I think, 
I don't want to say that, that you know, uh, breweries take advantage of it because it's, it's not really taking advantage of it. It's, 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 you know, it's a system that, that allows a brewery to, uh, to basically be commercially viable much earlier than they, they would in any other market. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, that one case a month that, that gets sold to those 200 stores is probably what's keeping a lot of those breweries in operation. Yeah. Um, and Which you wouldn't get kind that of a, in, in other yeah. jurisdictions. And it's actually, I, I don't know if it's, I don't know. I guess it depends on what your point of view is from a consumer perspective. But I mean, the common refrain is that it's easy to get your first skew at the LCBO and it's like pulling teeth to get your second. So like, it's like they have a mandate to support as many breweries as possible. But even if you're kicking ass and selling great beer, you want to start a second core brand. You're competing with like Joe Schmo, who's got like that case a month in the LCBO, which is maybe not to the benefit of consumers. I mean, I guess if choice is your only criteria, then the LCBO is doing it right. But if you're thinking that the guys that are selling, you want to have more beer from them on shelves, it's not really working. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, you know, everyone's going to have their, their own kind of perspective and opinion, but, but for me, um, when, when the, the small brewery that wants the second listing thinks that they're kicking ass, they're probably <laughs> not. <laughs> and, and I think that's, that's where they're sort of, they're maybe a, a little bit, uh, I, I think breweries in Ontario get, get a sense of entitlement. Like, mm. because it's a government agency, you should have to take every single one of my beers just cause. Mm. And, and I, I don't think we realize how good we've got it sometimes. And, it, um, uh, you know, the LCBO, you know, even for bows, like we, we put in our pitches and sometimes they say yes. And sometimes they say no. And uh, we've, we've got our D list notices when, when beers aren't selling as well as they think they should. Um, And, and, you know, you kind of in the moment you're like, well, but, but I, I believe in that beer. Don't, don't delist it. Yeah. But then when you kind of, you know, think about it in, 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 in retrospect and in a kind of a holistic manner, um, you know, if we were trying to do that in Quebec, we'd be paying for, for shelf space at the, at the stores. Um, if we were doing that in any market in, in the U S you'd be, you'd be paying all sorts of listing fees. Um, and, 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 it, and you would face much tougher, you know, competition on a store by store basis for that shelf space that, that I think a lot of us take for granted. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you're right. I don't know if, you know, uh, I don't know from a consumer's perspective if, if there's a bit of the same thing going on. And it, it, to me, it, it kind of depends on, on where you shop. Uh, if, if, if you're, you know, wanting that specialty beer store that, that you go visit that's got every single beer from, from across the planet, you kind of miss out on that in Ontario. But like I say, you can go to, you know, a secondary market and, and, and these kind of beer Mecca towns that people like to talk about, you go to a, you know, the outskirt beer store and the selection there is usually shit. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've, I've been to, to, you know, beer stores in California where, you know, you ask for a craft beer and they point you to the Labatt Blue. Right. Uh, so, um, you know, what you get, I think, in Ontario is more selection on average per store, but you don't necessarily get as many stores that have the everything. And, you know, they, they do have some stores that really have a very wide selection, you know, the, the Rito and King Edward store or the, um, uh, the one in Summerhill. Uh, yeah. and, and, you know, they've got some that have like amazing selection but you can always point to a store in like Portland or Burlington or, or somewhere that, that can beat their, you know, the Ontario's best store. Yeah. LCBO seem to be uh, as good as their beer manager, frankly. Like there was one in London that on York street that was known for having great beer. It's cause you know, the person in charge of beer gave a shit about beer. <laughs> and like, yeah. I'd be like, Hey, where's this beer? And they're like, Oh, I wasn't selling like other LCBOs. Like, okay. I was, actually, I mean, <laughs> 
it's I'm not like I have fancy taste, but I was in my local LCBO recently and I, I couldn't find a Pilsner. Like I was like, this is kind of crazy. <laughs> like I don't think this would have happened. <laughs> like, like it's all like maybe my taste have changed, but like everything was like IPAs, sours. I'm like, Hmm. This is pretty different, like for my little LCBO. This is what's selling right now. So, yeah. yeah. Where's where's my where's my drinking beer, please? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> Increasingly, I will just go to I go to directly to breweries now. I mean, I think that's the best way for. I, I mean, if you want fresh and you want local and supporting local, but if you want variety and experience and variety and discovery and yeah, I mean if. If you've got the advantage of going straight to a brewery, it's uh, just the experience is so much more fun. Yeah, always better. Um, we circled it. Well, we mentioned it a bit. The OCB, the OCB has come up a lot on my podcast. And you're, are you still an active? Are you still an active member? And you are on the board? Okay. I've been on the board of directors probably since two thousand eight, two thousand nine, something like that. Okay, and how do you think? how do you think the OCB is adapted to reflect this crazy spike in craft beer? We've seen that we talked about it happening in like 2006, 2010. Like I've had some candid conversations with Steve. Is his name Steve? I guess I said it. I'm like, shit, is that his name? Scott Simmons. God damn it. (laughs) Like I said, I really know him well. (laughs) No, we, we had some candid conversations and he was pretty you know, adamant that he was going to shake things up and be a little bit more vocal. And I mean, again, we'll probably get into, it's a weird time to get political with COVID, but do you think that the OCB is adapting to reflect brewers needs? Cause candidly, I think small brewers still don't feel that it's exactly what they need. Yeah. It's, um, it, I, I think, you know, when, when I started in 2006, there was maybe about 15% of breweries that actively tried to make things better on the OCB and 80% of breweries that complained about the OCB. And I don't think that's changed much. That's a good, Um, still the same. And you know, the, the, the OCB has never been perfect. I, I don't know any trade organization or any, anything that's, that's, that's ever been perfect. And it's, it's really easy to, to kind of point to the one or two things you don't like and, and, and complain about it. But uh, the difference that I see is that um, the people that, that really want to enact change join and, and, and take on the challenge of, you know, warts and all we're, you know, it's only going to get better if we, if we work at it. And, and then I, I think the vast majority of people just like to sit in the background and complain um, that the one thing that, that, that they wanted, they didn't get. And then they don't realize that, you know, maybe if they'd been on the board or attended a meeting, they could have influenced that vote. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, the, the OCB is responsible for the excise reductions which is behind the every single brewery in the in the country, not just the province, but in the country that's opened up. Um, and the OCB is responsible for grocery stores uh, being allowed to sell beer. Yes, I agree, it's not perfect, but um, they're responsible for uh, breweries being able to use a third party uh, to ship their beer. Um, think of all the breweries that rely on cold house and TNG that couldn't have exist that didn't exist before. Uh, and it was only because the OCB lobbied for it, that, that it got that change. Um, they're responsible for, um, breweries being able to serve, uh, serve beer on site to customers. They then changed the, the rules to allow them to sell a little bit later at night. Uh, to sell more than 12 ounces at a shot. Um, you know, the OCB's done so much for Ontario brewers that it, it kind of breaks my heart a little bit to, to kind of hear all the complaints that the, the OCB gets directed at it. Uh, because people seem to think that like it's this, you know, dark web shadow organization that's evil and, and only trying to help out, you know, kind of, 
some some master puppet master in in the background and and if they actually you know put in the effort they'd realize it's it's a it's a group of brewers that just care an awful lot about beer in the province and and they're willing to put in the effort uh to to try to make things better and and it's you know it's it's a it's a thankless job quite frankly because you know you, you spend a couple hundred hours trying to get something something accomplished and and then you just hear everyone complain about how they would have liked it to be slightly better yeah and it's like well shit we're you know we're working with, with government <laughs> we're trying to convince them to change you know the laws of the province and maybe we didn't get exactly what we all hoped for but but shit isn't it better that we got something than nothing yeah it's easy to shit on things it's much easier than joining <laughs> and trying to improve them it's more fun yeah, and too, that's, let's that's be human nature and <laughs> you know i i like to i like to complain about stuff too and you know when i'm sitting on the sidelines so i i, I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm kind of being high and mighty or anything but no no it's fair you put in a lot of work with the ocb i want to hear your perspective on it you obviously see the value in it i think the perception has typically been for small brewers that there are large brewers whose interests are better representative or better represented. But I also think that might be a factor that large brewers have resources to dedicate to people always being at the meeting. Like maybe when you're a small brewer, you're not prioritizing those OCB conversations. So maybe your voice isn't as heard. I don't know where that perception. I don't know. Uh, you know, in, in 2006, uh, I was, I was a, a member of the OCB you know, the day we got our manufacturer's license, I applied to the OCB and I drove six hours to the meeting and six hours back on top of, you know, running the brewery 24 seven. Um, and, and, you know, I, this is where it's like, again, it's, it's, it's not the shadow organization of really big breweries. Um, I think a big part of the reason why Bo's, you know, grew so fast is I, I went to every single meeting because I, I, I just sat in the corner and I listened to, to all the other breweries and, and learned so much mm -hmm. uh, from them that, that it, it helped us out. Um, but, uh, but you know, the, the, the chair of the chair of the OCB is, is all or nothing. They're, they're certainly not a, a massive brewery. You've got left field, uh, you know, that's very active on the board. Mandy's, uh, Mandy's, you know, one of the most active board members. They're not a huge brewery. You guys have um, Indy Alehouse. I mean, speaking of dark guys yelling from the background, you got Jason Fisher <laughs> on the OCB now, for God's sake. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm so happy that, that Jason's joined and, and, you know, I, I, that's, I think the other misconception is that, uh, you know, uh, that somehow OCB doesn't want, people with strong opinions uh it's quite the opposite like you know uh we we're gonna make better decisions when we've got more voices that that speak strongly and passionately about the things they believe in mm -hmm. you know and, and and i think sort of the the people that put in the most effort get the most results and and it's not you know uh, it's it's not sort of this uh this thing where like large breweries get to control the the way it works, you know, uh, Bose gets one vote, Steam Whistle gets one vote. There's far more members that are small than that are large on, on the on the board. Yeah, I think there's maybe sometimes a bit of a naivete about how you get to speak to government and make things change. Like you can't just yell as a lone person, like there's value in numbers and you have to be part of a trade organization to get those meetings. And so mm -hmm. there's one trade organization for Ontario and that's it. So yeah, yeah exactly and uh i you know I've, I've been really active in getting the canadian association off the ground as well and kind of it's been it's been really exciting getting to see you know uh canada's finally grown up enough to have its own national uh association for beer and um it's uh i i think it's the only way that uh that we make progress is when we make it together and uh and to think that any one small brewery is gonna be able to kind of move the needle uh on on major policy issues is 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 fooling yourself like yeah. um 
we we need everybody to kind of get behind the the rock and help push it up the mountain. Mm-hmm. And and the more breweries that kind of get active and get involved, the the better we'll 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 be at pushing that rock up that up the hill. And that's I, I guess where I get a little frustrated is, you know, the breweries that complain that we don't accomplish as much as they'd like don't seem to realize that if they were helping us, we'd get, we'd get more accomplished. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. Well, I know you've got a new baby, but I do want to talk about, before I let you go, sorry, you probably <laughs> want to go to sleep or go cuddle a baby, but I do want to talk about the uh, employee owned initiative because that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I think so that was 2017, right? So 2017, 2016. Oh, 2016. Sorry. Yeah. You, you yeah. announced that, uh well help me understand it was it like you worked here this long you're this salary grade you have this many shares or was it uh, employees have an opportunity to buy a chunk of the company like how did it work yeah it wasn't based on on what your salary was or anything uh it was based on kind of how much you you wanted to participate okay Uh, so it was purely optional and uh and it was basically um allowing allowing employees to to kind of uh, participate in the financial uh, success of, of the brewery. Cool. That's very cool. And I think, yeah, that obviously builds people want give a shit. <laughs> like if it affects their wallet, how <laughs> the company's doing now, but was this, and maybe this is just me projecting, was this an opportunity for Bose to maybe improve its financial position without having to seek a buyout? Like it's kind of a buyout, but not really a buyout. Uh, yeah, so that it could have been had we had we structured it differently. Um, uh, my my family and I um, did not uh, sell any of our shares through the process, so we didn't uh, we didn't take anyone's money or, or, or financially benefit uh, as you know, kind of me and dad kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, what we and and the brewery didn't financially. Uh, benefit because what we ended up doing is um, we had uh, some investors who you know had kind of put money in back in in 2006 that you know were kind of in their 70s and wanted to to kind of cash out and kind of move on and so what we what we did is we allowed our our employees to be the ones that uh, kind of bought that out as opposed to kind of either you know, me and dad buying, buying out those investors or, you know, what you'd typically do would be, you know, do a, a bigger equity, equity play. And, you know, me and dad take, take some money off the table and, and let, uh, let those investors kind of sail off into the sunset that way. Um, the, the reason we, we did it the way we did is because if you do it the other way, quite often, you know, the entity that ends up putting that money in, they're putting it in because eventually they want to take over the whole thing. Right. Uh, so it's usually this, the, it's usually the start of the end when, when kind of that transaction happens. Not that we'll name um, any names. Of <laughs> 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 breweries that that yeah. happened to. Um, yeah, exactly. So I always, I've heard a bunch of rumors that bows might be for sale. So was, this wasn't like, okay, we got to do something or that's not, I think I've heard it as recently as this year. I mean, but maybe that's just what happens when you have a big brewery. It's always out there. We, we've heard that rumor since about 2008. It's every, <laughs> every, every six months, someone will come back and they'll be like, hey, guess what? We're selling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I've heard that we're selling to Sleeman's. I've heard that we're selling to, uh, to Labatt's, to Molson's. Um, about every six months, there's, there's a new rumor that, that Bose is selling to somebody and and I'd love to know kind of where they, where they come from. Um, (laughs) but, uh, but yeah, it it seems like about, about every six months there's, there's a new rumor that, uh, that kind of circulates. I've never asked this on the show before, but I have asked brewers this or brewery owners, and maybe you don't want to answer but is there a number in your head? Because like, is there a number like you're like, yep, goodbye. I think I asked Peter at Great Lakes that once and he was like, no fucking way. But like, there's got to be a number, right? Like what's the, everyone's got a number. <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a funny question. And, you know, had we, 
had we been of that mindset in 2016, uh, you know, when Lagunitas was getting, you know, a billion dollars for 190 million in revenue and right. like kind of peak craft, if, if, if we were, if we were of the mindset of, Hey, let's, let's, let's make our money. We would, we would have sold in 2016. That, that was like the time for someone that wanted to sell to sell. Right. Um, the last, uh, the last four years, like I'm, you know, I'm not ashamed to say, you know, we, we've done a, you know, we've kind of entered our awkward teens and we've, <laughs> uh, we've had some, some missteps and, and we've had a couple of hard, hard years financially, um, that we've had to kind of, you know, uh, I guess grow up a little bit, uh, in terms of, you know, how we spend our money and, and the way that we, uh, we kind of manage our business. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it does kind of, bring home when when you're you're having a bad financial year and you're like well it looks like I got to cut my salary again (laughs) (laughs) um you know it kind of it it brings home a reality that that maybe wasn't uh wasn't you know really front and center back in 2015 when it was like well shit we'll just grow by another 50 percent uh next year and uh and why would we stop doing that you know uh so kind of at this point i i don't have a number um and uh you know my my goal when i started this would be that you know bose becomes a family legacy that you know generation after generation of of bo shane gets the kind of kind of run and i i'm you know i say what you will about moosehead's beer um that that legacy that they've created for their family is 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 just truly spectacular you know 150 years in one family and um you know the way they they kind of entrust the next generation to kind of to keep that going I, i think is a really cool model and you know if if i if i have my my way about this that that's what i'd love to see happen uh with bows um you know there there is a a reality where um you know if either uh i don't do a good enough job it it leaves us vulnerable for for kind of buyouts if uh if things don't go the way that i hope they will you know um you know i maybe don't get what i want um Mm -hmm. But, uh, but I, I guess that's more sort of like, I guess, uh, you know, uh, I hate to use the word maturity. I, I tell my kids I'm, I'm still part, part kid. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I, I guess there's kind of over the last few years, kind of been a reality that, uh, that I wasn't, you know, I wasn't really kind of recognizing where, you know, we, we started the brewery with like, less than 150,000 bucks. Um, and we've basically every, every growth from Bose, like it's, there's never been that big influx of cash from, you know, from, from selling stock or anything like that. So like, this is, this entire company is built on hopes and dreams and debt. And, uh, and, and because of that, uh, you know, we, we can't make a mistake. You know, if we make, if we make one mistake, that's, that's it. Uh, and, and that's the reality for, I think a lot of small businesses and, you know, COVID crisis, I think really kind of brings that home. You know, when you, when you see your, your revenues decline by 30, 40% overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and it's, it's, you know, the crappier industry, I, I think is in general was, was already ripe for a reckoning and, the COVID crisis is, uh, is not making that easier on, on a lot of folks. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, it seemed uh, inevitable. The growth seemed unsustainable for like, we've been saying it for five, six mm-hmm. years. Like when is this going to like, things are going to start to shut down, but I yeah. Guess it, and then I you, guess you, you add a, a global <laughs> pandemic on That's top right. of it. And, um, you know, I, I, I hope the best for, for everybody in the craft beer industry, but, um, you know, uh, we're quite lucky. We, we saw the, uh, we saw the writing on the wall really, really early on. And we, we took, 
uh, I would say not drastic steps, but very strong steps right out of the gate. Um, you know, before, before even the announcement for, for bars to shut down, we'd, you know, uh, we'd made, uh, you know, some, some really tough, tough calls and kind of bunkered down, uh, because we knew that it could be, it could be a really rough ride. We're talking layoffs. Yeah. 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 Layoffs and, and, uh, canceling projects and canceling investments and, you know, all the fun things that we wanted to do. It was like, you know, this is not the time to kind of wait and see. This is let's expect the worst. Mm -hmm. And, and then if, if, if we really truly expected the worst, it'll only be better than that. And that's, that's what's happened for us is that, you know, uh, it's, it's been really hard on, on the, on, you know, especially on the top line, but because we were really quick to react, um, you know, our, our bottom line has, has, you know, been okay through this. Um, it's, it's not going to be our best year ever. That's for sure. But it's, it's, it's not going to be our worst either. I saw it. I saw you just got a nice chunk of change from your township. That was in the <laughs> That's hilarious. So for people yeah. that don't know, you is it Champlain, Champlain Township? They reimbursed you because yeah. they were overcharging you for your wastewater. It's amazing. Yeah, that's uh, that. That was a a really nice win. Um, <laughs> I'm an old school punk rocker, so I, I, I the whole way home after that meeting, I was singing the Dead Kennedys. I fought the law and I won. <laughs> it was like over a hundred thousand dollars, right? Reimbursement. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. 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 It was, it was really, I, I, I'm amazed more than anything that they, they took my request seriously to, to look into their overcharging. You know, the, the reason that, that it came up is that, you know, they brought me in to, to threaten to, to, to find me. <laughs> and I basically turned around and I said, like, you have no right to find me. You're overcharging me. And I, I, you know, came with all my list of reasons why. And I never expected they'd actually listen to me, but they, they, they did an honest assessment and came back and said, Oh shit, you know what? We have been overcharging you. Did you so, just put an employee uh, to work during the pandemic? Like go look at my Rogers bill, look at the, <laughs> go through some, find some fucking money. <laughs> uh, Peter, our, our maintenance manager was, was the one that kind of, you know, really, uh, Vice really president kind of Peter now. No. Did all the work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I don't know if it was my imagination, but I swear when you're mentioning your family and the legacy, I heard baby number three crying in the background. I thought the timing was pretty appropriate there. Maybe maybe <laughs> it was my imagination. But I, I'm conscious we've yeah. been we've been talking for a while and you have a new baby. So I I appreciate you taking the time and, and chatting. This has been nice. Yeah, for sure. Good to good to see your face, Ben, and hopefully I'll get to see you in person sometime soon. Yeah, hang in there and uh, enjoy the fam, and we'll talk soon. Thanks for listening. Be sure and wash your hands.